Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, how's everybody this morning? Praise God. Peter and Jessica, they said, is on a, going to the cruise or loading up to go to the cruise or whatever. And that's going to be fun. I want to welcome everybody that's online this morning. And um, going to have some fun. I don't know how we'll be able to do all that I've got uh, in my heart to do in such a short period of time, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. How about that? How many of you know, though, that a word from God, an image from God, a picture or something that uh, He gives can mean a whole lot more than five or six hours of somebody talking? How many of you realize that? Well, this morning, the first thing, I was out there and I was watering some of the flowers and the plants there we have around the, the pool and all. And as I was doing so, I saw an image in my mind and a scripture verse that came with it. And I thought, wow. And I understood just in a twinkling of a moment, I mean, just in just a few seconds, it was like instant download what the Lord was saying. And uh, I want to share that with you because I believe that's what God's saying this morning, even in the message and through the songs that we've sang this morning. Uh, and just share with you about it. Scripture verse was found in Psalm 63. David was out in the wilderness of Judah when he wrote this, and it says this in verse 1. It says, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. Does anybody here know how that is, to be seeking after God? And uh, you, you, to the point where you get up early because you're, you're, you're thirsty for God. And he goes on and he says, My, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. There's no water there. And he's, he's bringing reference that I'm in a place that is dry and thirsty and there's no water. And it says that uh, he is thirsty. And have you ever noticed that when you're taking the, the plants and you're watering them, if you water them properly, which sometimes I don't because of time or whatever, uh, you'll put the water in there and, and if and it, you're supposed to be able to put the water in there and it just goes and it just soaks up in there. And eventually it'll run out the bottom into the little container there, right? Uh, the overflow part. If you haven't watered the plant on a regular basis, what happens? You put the water in it and it just rushes out real quick like. You know what I'm talking about? It just kind of like runs out. It didn't hang out. It didn't sit around. It didn't soak up in the dry soil. It just rushed right through. And that ought to be a sign uh, to, to, to us that we're not watering the plant enough. It's not getting enough water. Because if it had the proper amount of water, when you put the water in it, it would not have just rushed through. It would just kind of soak up even better because there's still moisture there in the soil. You know what I'm talking about. How many of you know what I'm saying? How many times in our life do we get to a place where we hear the word and the word comes in us and it was like, yes, I needed that. And it just seemed like it just run right out. And by tomorrow, you're thirsty again. I mean, you just drained. Maybe you're not getting enough water. And uh, how many of you realize that you can't get enough water in the days that we live in if all you're getting is once a month or, or even just an hour every once a week on Sunday? That's not enough water. This past summer when we were watering, I was out there watering the plants. I was going to say we, but we're not French. And so we don't do it. 
when I was out there watering the plants, that when it was 106 degrees like it was a few weeks back, can you believe that? Just a few weeks ago, we were hot in, in a major way, and, and now we're enjoying the cool, cooler weather. But go out there, and I would water them first thing in the morning. And then I'd water them again that afternoon. Why? Because it required that much water to stay healthy. Now, if I'd have said, well, I'm just not going to water them today, it wouldn't have taken but about two days in that heat, and they would have been dead. But, and, we, and we recognize that, especially when they're like hanging, instead of standing up, they're kind of fell over. You know, that, that's the first sign that it might need a drink of water. And so you go out there and you water them. And I've been guilty of times being so busy that they'd be almost laying down, you know, and put the water on them, they'd pop right back up. But you have to get them enough water. But when the weather's like it is today, you know, this past week or so, you may not realize it, but you still need yourself to consume water, but also the plants need to get water. It's not extremely hot, but they need to have that, the water so that they can uh, be productive. They can stay alive and be full. But I want you to notice something that he said here that we may not read properly at times. He said, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsted for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where, there, where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. He didn't say, I'm seeking you early so that I can get some water. He brings out, I am in a dry and thirsty place. How many of you know if you're alive today on planet Earth, you're living in a dry and thirsty place where it seems like there's just not enough water. But he didn't say, I'm seeking you early so I can get something for you. He said, I'm seeking you to see your power and your glory. So as I've seen in the sanctuary before, when I've come in and been so wore out and tore up and beat up and beat down that I couldn't even move, yet before the service was over through praise and worship and, and just hearing the word of God, I've become full and seen your power change my soul from the inside out because of your word and your loving kindness. And he says that your loving kindness is better than life. And you know, we need to grab a hold of that. That if we find ourselves in the days that we're living in, thirsty and longing, just, I just need to, I need to drink, I need something. Uh, just think about how the world may perceive it. What's, what's the world going through when they don't even have Jesus? How many of you know that every nation right now across the whole world. How many of you realize that people are talking about the days that we live in? They're talking about uh, how, how the, the, the entire world is, is hurting. They're all, people are, are fearful of a war, another world war of, of us going to war with China, China going to war with, with uh, Taiwan, They're us going to war with Russia and Ukraine. It's, every, everybody's talking about things like that. They're talking about the world's economies and how, you know, everybody's saying China's got this. China, on the other hand, is saying they're going broke or not telling everybody that, but their economy is actually collapsing. People are talking about cyber attacks. They're talking about pandemics, another pandemic coming up and vaccinations and all. They're talking about famines and, and not to mention all that, but how about all the natural disasters? There was a flood that just a few weeks ago in, in Libya just wiped out a, a whole community. Earthquakes, 
fires that just destroyed a whole island in Hawaii, in Maui. And we'll just say it real nice and say it was all just climate change. But nevertheless, people are afraid. They're fearful. They're fearful over their health care. They're fearful over identity theft. They're fearful over uh, supply shortages. They're fearful over politics. They're fearful over riots in the streets. They're fearful over wokeness, council culture. They don't want to be counseled out. They don't want to be labeled uh, by anybody or anything. All the social injustice, people are living in fear of that. And the list can go on and on and to the end there's no sight. I mean, it just keeps going. People are afraid throughout the whole world. And as believers, we all know what the world needs is Jesus. Is that right? Yeah. We know that. And I hear many people today talking about what the world needs now is a revival. And I'm here to say that I believe that's true. The world needs a revival. The world needs a revival because they're in a dead spot. They're in a dead place. And when you use the word revival, it means you're bringing something that was dead to life. And I believe the world needs that. And I hear people talking about that. But what concerns me is the image that believers, that's us, live before this world. What kind of image do we live before this world? Don't hate me yet. Let me ask you a question. Why would the world want to be like us? Why would the world want to be like Christians? For the most part, people who claim to be Christians live just like the world. You wouldn't notice any much difference in them, the, the way they talk, the way they, they uh, dress, the way they complain about everything in the world, the way they live in fear of everything that takes place on this earth. Why would they want to be a Christian? They don't see a difference. You don't mind me just being honest, do you? Because God's wanting to take us somewhere this morning. And if you'll just hang with me, you'll see it. Why would the world want to be like that? We all understand and know that the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Could it possibly be that the church really doesn't know how to live? We are the just, are we not? We've said yes to Jesus. We've accepted him to be our Lord and Savior, so we are the just. And it says that shall live by faith. By faith what? By, by the Word. That's what we have faith in, isn't it? God, the Word. Maybe the truth of the matter is, is the just, that's us, the church, doesn't know how to live according to God's Word. And because of that, we live just like the world lives. And the world looks at us and says, what's the difference between us and you? You look like us, you sound like us, you work alongside of us. I, you complain just like we complain about politics and, and money and wokeness and all kind of other stuff. Really, there's no difference except on Sunday you go to church once in a while. When you don't go to the beach or to the lake or have something else to do. They don't see any difference. I was there, I know. And they say, well, just, you know, church full of hypocrites. I said, so is hell. Hell's full of them too.
But the world doesn't understand theology. And the truth be told, uh, most of the church doesn't understand theology either. Okay? But one thing we do know is that Jesus died upon a cross. And that we're not perfect. And we know that without the blood of Jesus shed on that cross, that we would not make it to heaven. That we'd be going to hell. And that's about where most people stop. And then it becomes religion. And they never grow past that. And so they're always struggling, always still wearing the old man and not realizing that they're not the old man anymore, that they are a new creature in Christ now. And the world sees nothing different. They just see them, they're just the same. One of the first things that we learned as, as believers is the fact that I am a spirit being and that I have a soul that consists of my, my, uh, my intellect, my soul, it, it consists of my mind, my will, and my emotions and so forth. And I live in this body, this earth suit. But how many of you realize that most Christians are more concerned with their earth suit than they are with their soul? Not realizing that they are a spirit being which will never die. They don't see things from a perspective that they'll never die. They are alive in Him. So they live their life based upon what you see, how you feel, what somebody's done to hurt your feelings. And the world sees that. So there again, tell me why the world would want to embrace Christianity. You see, I believe that there is going to be and was coming soon an end time revival. I believe that. But I believe that the church needs something that's going to take place in it before this revival takes place. And it's called an awakening. An awakening. And I say that because there's coming a day of reckoning. We sang about a reckoning. There's coming a day of reckoning. And it's closing in quicker, more and more, every single day. We're closer to Jesus coming back than ever before. And the Bible declares that, that in this last days, things are going to take place. And we, the church, is going to rise up and walk in our rightful place. And the world will see their need for Jesus. So there must be a awakening within the church house so that the world can desire what we have. So that says this, that you are alive. I'm alive, but maybe there's areas of our life where we're asleep at, at the wheel. Huh? That's why we keep ending up in the ditch. Dozing off. You see, the church isn't dead. Revival is when the dead receive life. And if you're born again, you're not dead. You're alive in Him. Isn't that right? Do we all agree with that? We're alive in Him. You may feel sore, you may feel weak, you may feel broke, all kind of things, but nevertheless, you are alive in Him. Are we alive? Yes. That's right. Now, as believers... We know that when we were dead in our sins that we couldn't buy our way into 
to heaven. We knew we couldn't earn our way into heaven through good works. We didn't have what it takes. So we 100% relied upon Jesus. Isn't that right? We said, there's nothing we can do. It has to all be what Jesus has done. Is that right? So what we need is a, a coming alive, we look to Jesus. If we're not careful, we start saying as a church, what we need is revival. We once again say, what we have need of, only Jesus can do. Now I want you to understand something. He can't bring you back alive. You're not dead. You're not dead. So the church doesn't need a revival. It needs an awakening to who we are. Now, well, I've got to go quick. Back in about the 17th, about the 18th century, the beginning, there was a, a revival that took place. They called it a Great Awakening. How many of you remember that? I think Jonathan Edwards uh, preached a, a message that a lot of people still hear about today. And it was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Can I be honest with you? It scared the hell out of a lot of people. And that's good. They needed the hell scared out of them. They needed to accept Jesus, right? Got the hell right out of them, right? That's good. And a lot of people need to make that exchange. Let's get, get rid of hell, get rid of the life of the devil and, and, and all of that and, and do what? Receive Jesus. Today, there's been another message over the last 20 years or 30 years maybe, minister. And it's a true message. And it's an awakening to the church that's just as real and powerful as that message was back then. That actually hundreds of thousands, millions of people got saved. And it was called this. This is basically the, the word that we hear a lot today. And it is children in the lap of a loving father. A lot of people have come to church and realized God's not mad at me. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He has healing for you. He has prosperity for you. He has, all of this is true, is it not? Yes. It's true. Yet people in both cases have still fallen away from the Lord. You see, when it's fear that brings you, when the fear is gone, so are you. And when God's met all your needs because He's your loving Father and you don't have a care in the world, guess what happens? If you don't keep looking to Him, you'll be gone. You're taking it on your own. Now you've become your own God. I've watched a lot of things in this world take place and one of the things I, I recognize and realize that the reason that our country today, just like around the world, is the same thing, is going through a lot of what they're going through it's not because we've changed the Constitution. It's the same one. Same Bill of Rights and all. Maybe not being enforced, but it's the same one. And then, but this is what's happened. People don't know God. They don't recognize God. 
They don't recognize Jesus as Lord. They don't recognize a supreme being. And so that since they, there's not a, a, a judge of the, of, of the universe, they become their own judge, which means everybody's right in their own eyes. So if they want to throw you in front of a subway, at some subway train station, it's no big deal. They're God. They can do what they want. We want to go into a store and, and steal thousands of dollars worth of money. It's, hey, there's no God. I answer to me and me alone. That is the world right now. That's, the, that's where we live. We're in a thirsty and dry place, right? Yes. Whole world is. And we need to recognize this. But I want to share with you some things that's going to happen when we, the church, are awakened. And uh, this, is, this is found over in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 28. Can you put that up there? It says, And it came to pass, about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, John, and James, and went up into a mountain to pray. And when he prayed, the fashion of his countenance, being Jesus, was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who, appearance, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Look at verse 32. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. Heavy with sleep. Here it is, Jesus is there being in, at the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses is there. Elijah is there and they are asleep. What a time to take a nap. But it didn't stay asleep. Notice there it says, and when they were awake, they woke up. And look what happened when they were awake. They saw his glory. When the church really wakes up, when we really wake up, we will see God's glory. We'll see him for who he is and we'll also see him for who we are. In him. And it says, and they saw the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. You know what? Jesus didn't say, no, I wish y'all hadn't woke up. Y'all were sound asleep. I wish you'd have stayed that way. Now I've got to try to explain to y'all what in the world just took place. He didn't say that. He was like, yeah, it is good for you to be here. He said, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. How many of you know that we say a lot of things in church and we have no clue what we're saying? Huh? We think we know, but just like Peter, he just spoke up. He says, let's make three tabernacles, one for you. And what was he saying by saying that? He didn't know. That's what it said, didn't it? He said he didn't know. But there was a law that was given by Moses from God. Moses, the lawgiver. That's why he was there. Elijah of the prophets. The words that were spoken by the prophets. There it is. It says that all of these things 
Uh, the first great commandment is, is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind. The second is likening to it about loving your neighbor. And it says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And Jesus is there fulfilling all of the law and all that was spoken of the prophets. Peter didn't have a clue. But nevertheless, that's what took place. When our, we are awakened to who we are, we will see his glory. It won't be anymore, I see my fear, I see my insecurities, I see all my, my, my failures. We will see him for who we really are. And I'm about 20 minutes behind schedule. I wrote it out so I'd kind of get an idea where I can, what I have to skip. <clears throat> but things are happening. And one of the things that took place that, that kind of bothered me a few years ago, I noticed, was the falling away of believers. The falling away. Second Thessalonians 2 says this and says, now we, in verse 1, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus, that our, and by our gathering together with him, unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Nobody looks forward to that. I wasn't looking forward to it. I've known that verse has been there all along. I've known it since early for 40 years. That before Jesus returned, there'll be a falling away, but nobody wants that, right? So before there's that end time revival and the church is awakened, there has going to be a falling away. Part that bothered me is how it happens. I didn't want to think that a pandemic could do what it's done. But it wasn't about the pandemic. It wasn't just about control and all these different things. These were all instruments used by the devil to cause a falling away. A lot of it was through greed and power and control and our governments are doing it to control people and all that. We will not go there. But nevertheless, it causes, they're just instruments. A pandemic. At the house of healing, we're afraid to go to church because we might get sick. If you're going to die, wouldn't that be a good place to die? In church? Die in faith? I'm not trying to belittle the pandemic, okay? And about people that have died and COVID, it was real. It still is. I mean, it's still out there. I don't think they went about it right, but nevertheless, pandemic caused a lot of problems. I think it was a great falling away. People got, quit going to church, afraid to go to church, afraid to sing out loud and praise God because that's how it's transmitted. And it just quieted it all down. And people couldn't go there, so they went everywhere else. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Rebuke, uh, reprove, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, 
But after their own lust shall they heap on themselves teachers having itching ears and they will turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Days we're living in. We shouldn't be fearful of it. We should be excited because it's just pushing us. We, we can see ourselves where we, where we are, what's going on. Paul writes to the Romans and he says this. Romans 13, 11, it says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awaken out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we believed. He was saying the church has got to wake up. He's telling the Romans, You've got to wake up. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in righteousness and drunkenness and chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. He says we need to wake up. He's telling this to the Romans. You've got to wake up. The complete Jewish Bible says this way. It says, besides all this, you know at what point in history we stand. I like that. So it is high time for you to rouse yourself from sleep. We got to wake up to who we are. Not just dozing off. I, I imagine if anybody's kind of tired this morning, you're like, I got to stay awake. He's liable to call me out. But he didn't just stop with Romans. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says in, in chapter 5, verse 14, Wherefore, he said, Awake from thou sleepest. Awake thou that sleepest. And arise from the dead. In other words, quit acting like the dead. Wake up. Understand the will of the Lord. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. I mean, to, yeah, uh, and it says, um, let's see if I can skip some of that. Uh, for you yourself know perfectly well that the day of the return of the Lord will come as, as unexpectedly and suddenly as a thief in the night. Get on to verse 6. Um, back to verse 5. It says, for, all, for you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do, not belong either, we do not belong either to the night or to darkness. Accordingly then, let us not sleep as the rest do, but let us keep a wide awake, alert, watchful, cautious, and on guard, and let us be sober, calm, and collective in circumstance. He was saying, we need to be awake. He saw he's writing it. I read it to you out of the Amplified. I'm sorry. She probably put it up in the King James. I told her to. He writes to the Corinthians. He says this, Awaken to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. That we should have to be awakened and not to live like the world lives. Jesus said the same thing, Matthew 13, 24, when he was talking about how the good man sowed seed in the fields and it says, and while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares in the field. Jesus was telling us that in a parable. Now, I'm skipping through a lot of these because I want to get to a place that is of the utmost importance. 
And that is, there's three things that I want to talk about this morning that we need to be awakened to. See, it's, not, it's one thing to say, yes, I need to be awakened, but what do we need to be awakened to? Number one, the first thing that we need to be awakened to is who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. Not who the world says we are, not how you feel, not your past, but who you really are. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. How many people here this morning are born again? Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Everybody here. You're a new creature. You can't live your life based on what happened in your past. You base it on who, who you are today, who you are in Christ. John 1.12 says, says that we have become the sons of God. Not the sons of man, but the sons of God. We've become children of God. Romans 8.17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. This is not things that we're making up. This is what the Word says. This is who we are. Yeah, but I don't feel like a joint heir. I didn't ask you how you felt. That gets back over to that earth suit again. We're not the earth suit. We're spirit. His words are spirit and truth. This is who we are. We have to keep focused on this is who we are. Isaiah 62, 12 says that, they, they, that we're called holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, the sought out. That's who we are. Matthew 5, 13 says, Jesus said, we're the salt of the earth. Verse 14 says, you're the light of the world. The word says that we are ambassadors of heaven. It says that we're temples of the living God. This is who we are. We're not the defeated. We're not the sickly. We're not the poor and the broke. We're sons of God. We're daughters of God. We're children of the Most High God. We've been sought out. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light into this world. This is who we are. We need to be awakened to this is who we are. And if we are this, then we are to live like this and not like the world lives. Because as long as we're living like the world is living, they're not looking at us and saying, I want what they got. So the church has got to wake up to who we really are and start living like who we are. Second thing I want to bring out is the fact that we are to be awakened to our assignment as believers. It's one thing to realize and be awakened to the fact of who you are, but it's another thing to understand your assignment. You need to be awakened to the fact that you have an assignment. And it's not just to get by down here on planet Earth. That's not our assignment, just to get by. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, 11, that God, it says, And God gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, and He gave it to the body of Christ for a reason, 
Verse 12 tells us that. For the perfecting of the saints. Wow. In other words, build us up. Build the body of Christ up. Why? Well, it answers that. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. The last days here. It's not going to be a revival based upon having two or three Billy Grahams going out and some Oral Roberts out there and some others. It can't, it can't be accomplished that way. God doesn't even desire for it to be that way. He wants it to be through you, the church. You will be able to reach them and the, just like that. It takes Billy Graham 50, 60 years to reach those that he reached. Oral Roberts a whole lifetime. It took these people all these years. It's all going to happen so quickly. The only way it can happen is like a pandemic. It's going to be from you to your neighbors, to your, to your family, to your neighbors, to the people you work with. It's just going to be spread like that. So you're to be perfected. That's why we come to church, to hear what the Word says, who we are, what our job is, what's our assignment, so that we can do the work of the ministry. It's not the preacher's job to do all of it. It's not, we're not talking about cutting grass. We're not talking about doing a little weed eating and stuff like that around the church house or sweeping the floor or, or doing a, a Sunday school class. We're talking about the work of the ministry everywhere you go, to everybody you come in contact with. Do the work of the ministry for the edifying, the building up of the entire body of Christ. We need to be awakened that this is what we're to do. This is our assignment. It's not even a suggestion, it's our assignment. The church. Are we going to awaken to this? Because we need to. Come to a place where we speak truth in love and grow up in Him in all things which is the head, even Christ. This is our assignment as believers. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now I know I just cussed a lot of people talking about good works. Because some people don't believe the church needs to have any good works. They don't want to do any good works. They don't want to, you know, there was a time where, oh, we don't do works. You know, you don't get saved by works. I say it this way. I don't do good works to get saved. I do good works because I am saved. Are you hearing me? I'm not give to the poor so that maybe God can see my giving and, and, and I can be accepted into heaven. No, I give to the poor because that's who I am. That's what Jesus would do. It's what my heart is. It's who we are. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. James 1, 2 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving your own self. And he goes on and he says, uh, but those that look into the perfect law of liberty and continue therein, he is not being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. In other words, his works, what he's doing, his everyday living. His works, his good works. 
People don't want to do good works. Do we have any volunteers? What time is it? I got to go. Got to do something else. I've never seen it like that in there, ever in history. Nobody wants to be involved. And I think a lot of it's got to do with the day we're living in with wokeness and council culture. It's going to get worse. But the body of Christ has to recognize and realize that there is a work to be done. How about this? Plain and simple, the Great Commission. Go into all the earth and preach the gospel. Huh? Lay hands on the sick and they'll be recovered. Cast out devils in my name. Is that not part of the Great Commission? Is that not something we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. And we'll shout and have victory and do a victory dance and all that about the authority that God has given us as believers. And we'll be all pumped up. But don't ask me to do any works. I don't do any works. That's our assignment. This is how the world out there is going to recognize that we're different from them. Huh? And we need to be awakened to the fact of this. Let me ask you this. I preached this message probably, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. All kind of gets a long time ago when you turn as old as Bill Horn. In a football game this afternoon, you watch on TV, you'll notice that two minutes before halftime, there's the two-minute warning. And at the end of the game, there's a two-minute warning. And it tells them, uh, you need to reconsider what you're doing because you've only got two minutes before the game is finished and it will not be replayed. This is all the time you got left. And so they go about their strategy of what it's going to take to get a score, to, to get onside kick, do whatever it takes to try to implement something so that they can win, right? How many of you would like a two-minute warning in life? Where, now, the crazy thing is we would probably spend our entire two minutes repenting of all the things that we know that we should have repented from. Isn't that right? But let's just give us a little bit more time. Say you had a whole day. What would you do if you knew today is the last day that you're going to live? What would you do? Just think about it. This is a time for you to think. Okay? Listen and think. What would you do? Who would you call? Is there somebody you would call and say, I just want to let you know I love you? Is there somebody you'd say, look, I know we haven't spoken years. I'm sorry for what took place. Seems like it's meaningless. Doesn't mean nothing now. But nevertheless, I just want to tell you I'm sorry. And you know it was their fault anyway. But yet you're still going to apologize. Why? Is that something you would do if today was your last day? And then you were going to meet your maker? What if you had a week? What would you do if you had a week? Would you tell people how much you love them? Would you say, you know what? I think I'm going to go feed the, home, the homeless out there. I'm going to go take them some sandwiches. I'm going to feed some of these people under some overpasses. I'm going to, I'm going to do something. 
I'm going to go visit so-and-so in the hospital. Yeah. I'm going to go see some folks. Is that what you do? If you had a whole week, you see your loved ones, you want to tell them you love them, you know that your time is close and, and you spend time with them, and, but yet there's some other things that you want to do. What if you had a month? A month. How would you live? What would you do if you had one month? Now, some years ago, there was a movie called The Bucket List, and since you're not rich like that, you wouldn't be able to do those things. But what would be your bucket list if you knew that you had one month left? Does anybody here have any idea what you might would do? Just give me a little hint by slipping your hand up. There's some things that you would do. Is anybody? I see two people. Y'all know what you do. Everybody else has already done all the things that they would do. Three people. Is there anybody you would call? There's somebody else raised their hand. I mean, four people. I'm just talking to four people. I think I'm talking to everybody here. We all know there's people we'd call, people we'd go see, things we would do. Is that not true? Yeah. So we know this. Then why aren't we doing it? If we already know what we should be doing or would like to do, then why aren't we doing it? We're not awakened to the fact. It's not, we're not awakened to it. We need to do this. And we need to ask ourselves, why am I not doing what I know is in my heart to do? I know I should do that. This is what it would be on top of my I'd, I'd call them up. I would apologize for the way I acted. I would forgive people. I would ask people to forgive me. If I knew this was it, and I know that that's what I do, then why are we not doing it? Maybe that's all they're looking for is somebody to, to live that life before. I mean, they would change themselves. Last thing I want to bring up. The church needs to be awakened to this. One more thing we need to be awakened. Number one, we're to be awakened to who we are in Christ. Isn't that right? Number two, we're to be awakened to the fact that we all have an assignment. We all have an assignment. Individual assignments, but we've all been called to do the work of the ministry. Is that true? Number three, we need to be awakened to the fact that we're all going to stand one day at the judgment seat of Christ. No exemptions. I'm not talking about the great white throne judgment that's in Revelation that is for those that have never accepted Jesus. I'm talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Would you put up uh, Romans, what is it, 14? But why doest thou judge thy brother, or doest thou not said it not thy brother, for we shall all, see that word all, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. We are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Would you go to 2 Corinthians? It's, here it is. It says this, 2 Corinthians is it 10, 5, 5, 10, 5, 10, I think. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone, everyone 
may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're not talking about lost people. They're going to stand before the great white throne judgment. But all born again believers, if you're not born again, you won't be here at this place. This is the judgment seat of Christ. That every believer will be standing one day. One at a time. Right before Jesus. And give an account for what you've done in your body. Whether it be good, whether it be bad. And we need to be awakened to this truth because I don't believe people really think much about it. So they just live their life any old way. But as a minister, it's my job to, ref to, to let you understand and explain to you that day's coming. You will stand there one day and give an account for your attitude, for your actions, for the words that you spoke, for the things that you've done in this body, in this life. I remember November 27th, 1979. When the Lord came into that room where I was at, and I didn't understand anything, but I knew this. The presence of God filled that room. And I knew it. I'd been a drug dealer for a long time had taken drugs and abused them for every single day for eight years. And that particular night, I'm sober as can be. And when the Spirit of the Lord came in that room, I, it's not something you see with your eyes and didn't hear it with my ears, but the presence of God filled that room. And this is what he said. He said, Alan, I love you. And I couldn't understand that. How could you love me? after what I've done. I didn't understand any of that, but he didn't stop there. He said, Alan, I love you. And if this is the life you choose to live, okay. Which kind of shocked me. But he said, this is not what I had for you. I had no clue what he was talking about, but I realized because I was begging God, if you'll just give me one more chance, I'll do right. I'll do it right. I'll do it. Just give me one more chance. And I'm begging and pleading. I'm thinking, if I'm not dead yet, maybe I can get one more chance out of him. And in between, Alan, I love you, and this is the only life you're going to get. Okay? If it's the way you choose to live your life, so be it. Between that, I'm begging God, just give me one more chance. And then he said what he did. It's the only life you're going to get. If this is how you choose to live it, okay. Well, we got this choice. It's not what he, and he says, but this is not what I had for you. And I'm still begging God, just give me one more chance, give me one more chance. And I realized something. I don't deserve another chance. real honest for the first time 
I don't know how long. And I realized that if you gave me another chance, God, this was a Tuesday night. I said, I had messed it all up by Friday. In my thinking, it was about me being good. I had no ideas about his goodness. But I was being honest. And I knew, you give me another chance, I'll mess it up by Friday. I've been bad so long, I don't even know how to be good. But he didn't stop there. It didn't even phase God. Because it saw my heart. But it's what took place next that I've never been able to shake. As I laid there in the bed, shaking, 25 years old, realizing just how small I really am. I knew that this was like, you're here because either I've died and now I'm giving account for my life before you. Where did that come from? Came from my little Sunday school thinking and, and going to school and Catholic school and catechism classes and going to church, knowing that there's going to come a day that I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Didn't understand any of it, but I knew there was coming that day. Hadn't thought of it. God knows how long. Where did I get that thought? Same place you'll get that thought when you're standing there. Oh, I knew this was coming. Just hadn't thought on it in years. He said, we're going to be standing there. And to look up and to see what I saw Scenes of my life, like I'm watching a movie on the ceiling. Had no idea what, in the church world, you call that having a vision, because it really wasn't a movie screen on the ceiling. How many of you know that? They're just as, didn't have a clue what was going on, but I saw, and when I saw the scenes that I saw, I remembered it when I was five years old. I felt it through my entire being. Everything about me. If there would have been a smell in the room that day, I would, have, I would be smelling that smell. I felt everything as if I was just reliving that moment. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and, and, and you're being looked upon, as we'll read a few scriptures in just a second, you're not going to say, I don't remember that. I, I don't remember that, God. Oh, yeah, you will. It's like you just relived it. Not one time. I went through about six different scenes of my life and God revealed things to me and every one of them was just like that. I relived it. I knew everything about it. I knew what was going to happen next. I knew what I was going to say. I knew what I, I, I did. Everything that was there. Hadn't thought of it. Never thought, but I really, that's the way it will be at the judgment seat of Christ. We don't hear much about this type of stuff. Let me say, I'm going to read you a few scriptures just so you'll understand what's going to take place. It says, Psalms 56, 8 says, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears in thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? That's what David said. Lord, what I'm going through and all I'm, the tears that I've cried out and all, isn't all that recorded in your book? You have this recorded. 
Psalms 139, 16 says this, Thy eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. The Amplified says, And in your book, all the days of your life were written before ever before they ever took shape, when as yet there was none of them. Complete Jewish Bible says, And in your book all my days were already written. My days had been shaped before any of them existed. There's a book about you, your life, all the things that God has for you and exploits, he, things that he, your assignment here on earth. Things that you're to do. It's already written. Revelations 20, 12 says this, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books, plural, were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. So it must be the judgment seat of Christ, got the book of life, and other books. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds according to their deeds. We will be standing at the judgment seat of Christ with books opened of what you did and what you should have done. And we're going to be judged out of that. And I think that a lot of times we look at the word judged and we look at it and think we're fixing to be sentenced to, to hell or prison or something like that. No, no, no. You'll be rewarded. Judgments are just as good Right? You can be, get a, got a judgment for your good, you know, on your behalf. You're going to be rewarded. Psalm 62, 12 says, Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Familiar passage of Scripture that been in church any of the time you've heard. Matthew 16, 24 says, then said Jesus to his disciple, If any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profit if he gain the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Give me a Kleenex. We're going to give an account for our life. And I believe that we all should be awakened to that fact. That there's coming a day that we're going to give an account for what did we do with this precious gift of life that our God has given us. So we have an awakening to who we are in Christ. The church needs to be awake to who we really are. And when that's done and you begin to start thinking about, okay, this is who I am. I'm awakened to that now. Then your assignment will be the next thing you're awakened to. Then Lord, if this is me, then why am I here? And then the last but not least is the fact that we need to be awakened that we're going to have to give an account for what did we do with this gift that God has given us? 
Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget or overlook your labor and the love which you have shown for his name's sake in ministering to the needs of the saints. We're going to have to give an account. So I've rushed through this greatly. But with every head bowed and eye closed, nobody looking around, let's just pray. You may be here this morning in a situation like David, that you feel like you're in a dry and lonely place, a, a desert place, and you've been crying out to him. I just want you to know, you keep crying out to him and expect him to fill you and to give you his love, provision, and everything else. Go and read Psalm 63, the whole chapter. It's eight, 10 verses. And as you read that and begin to start speaking out just like he did, I will praise you with my lips. I will give thanks to you in the midst of all the bad that's going on around me. I'm going to praise you and I'm going to worship you, God, because I know you're my deliverer. You're going to get me out of whatever I'm in. You may be here today. You said, Pastor, I, I, I haven't been living like I need to. Matter of fact, you're right. There's not a whole lot of difference between the way I live every day and the people around me. If I didn't tell somebody I was a Christian, nobody would ever even know it. That might be where you are. But you don't have to stay there. You don't have to continue being there. It's just a decision away. You can do something about it. You can become awakened to the fact that that's not who you are. You're a new creature in Christ. You've given your life to the Lord. And it's high time that you wake up to it and start doing it. And if that's you this morning, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm asking you just to do it. Meditate upon it. Begin to picture your life, what it would be like if you were to actually start living the life that you're supposed to live. If not, if you don't begin to meditate upon it, you never will. You just keep living the way you are. You're going to have to start using your imagination. Of what would my life look like if I really began to live like the church is supposed to live? You may be here and say, you know, I... I confess that I'm these things. I, I, I don't curse. I don't steal. I don't do anything really bad. I'm not a drunker. I'm, I'm not one of these type people. But, but pastor, I haven't been doing any of the things I know to do. I, I, I know that I'm to feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty and clothe the naked and visit those that are sick and, 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 and call upon those that, and see those that are in prison. I know that that's what I'm supposed to do. I've, I've heard it for years. I just don't do it. Well, start. Just make up your mind, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start doing these things that I've been called to do, the work of the ministry. And I'm not going to just do it for a day or a week or an afternoon or to the fear that I'm not doing it wears off. It's going to be my life. This is my assignment. This is what I'm awakening to that I have got to start doing my assignment. You may be here this morning and 
this whole thing about standing at the judgment seat of Christ kind of shook you up a little bit. You hadn't really known that. You hadn't thought about that. You thought, well, I've said yes to Jesus. I accepted him, and I just figured, you know, I got my get-out-of-hell-free card, and when I get there, Peter will say, come on in, and, and I'll figure it out once I get there. And I think most people live that way. But what are we going to say? What are we going to say as we stand there looking Jesus in the eye, knowing all that he did for us, see the holes in his hands, scar on his side, the holes in his feet, knowing he paid the price so that we could do the assignments that we have recorded in history in the books that he has there, already recorded. What are we going to say? What are we going to say? We need to be awakened to that. But we're not going to live in fear of that day at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to look forward to it because we're going to start doing and become awakened to every day is a gift from God to live for Him from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed. And it's going to take a change of heart, a change of attitude, a change of the way we're thinking. But in order for us to do and usher in the end time revival that I believe is approaching us quicker every single day, we're going to have to awaken to the fact of who we are and what we're here to do. So Lord, I just declare to you today I know there's people here, hearts that are receptive to your word and they understand. And it's a, a shaking, awakening. It's a, it's a time of reckoning of where we are. As individuals, and Lord, we just look to you to stir this up because we know in just a few minutes we're going to be leaving We'll be talking, thinking of the things that we got to do. And if we're not careful or we know, we know ourselves, we know that we'll get busy and we won't even think about this except once in a while. But Lord, we're asking you to keep this in our remembrance, this awakening to who we are and who our, what our assignment is and all that you've done for us. The Lord, I just speak and declare blessings on the people today. In Jesus' name, bless coming in and bless going out. Bless your people in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.